This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded. There are so many choices when it comes to selecting the right financial institution. Start with the Philadelphia Federal Credit Union. We're right here in your city. We're also the official credit union of Temple University, and anyone who lives, works, worships, and studies in Philadelphia can open an account with convenient locations throughout our city of brotherly love. Also online at pfcu.com with free online and mobile banking. We're not here for our profit, here for yours. Federally insured by NCUA. WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. An Odyssey station. From the Cherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. This is Talk Radio 1210, WPHT. It's good news in real estate. If you're a homeowner, if you're selling a home, or perhaps purchasing a home or vacation property, welcome to our home. It's good news in real estate, presented by the Philadelphia Federal Credit Union. Your hosts for the next radio hour, the mortgage mom, Deanne Kitsaris, along with real estate veteran and owner-operator of the Philadelphia Real Estate Class. Mark Cumberland. Your real estate education starts right now. It's good news in real estate. Presented by the Philadelphia Federal Credit Union. All right. Good afternoon. Get ready to laugh and learn here on Good News in Real Estate on Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. I'm Mark Cumberland, along with my co-host, the mortgage mom, Deanne Katsaris. How are you, Deanne? I am fabulous as usual, Mark. Thank you. As usual. That's very good. And we're very excited to be talking to you every Saturday at 1 o'clock here on Talk Radio 1210. If you want to ask us a question about mortgages, residential, commercial real estate, give us a call. My number is 267-266-5501. What's your number, Deanne? My number is 609-605-7153. You can listen to this show and all of our past shows. We've been on the air. This will be our 12th year. At our webpage, goodnewsinrealestate.com, and also at WPHT's website. So what's coming up today? How is it possible to be on the air when I was like 11? How is that possible? I don't know. I don't know how you pulled that off. You had a deep voice. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Mark. Coming up on today's show, we have the market report. Got one for you. We have our business tips with Asking Dr. A. Yes. Mark's funny story. Yes. And we also have our mortgage mom topic today. Which is what? Forbearance exits are speeding up. That's that's a good one. It's a good was, one. Mark, because I, I talked to a realtor today that was all doom and gloom. Okay. Moving on. Next question. We have our questions. Is it better to buy in the first phase or the last phase of a subdivision with new construction? Mm, that's interesting. The next question is, so looking back now, I see that my current home was not the best investment. It is my first house, so I learned a lot. So many questions now. How do I not make the same mistake in my next purchase? Go on. Next next question is, I'm buying a house from a relative, and we're wondering what options are for getting the paperwork and legalities done. It's a great question. And then the next question is, how much impact does the home type have on the mortgage rates. That's a different one. That is and a Mark, different one. we have our topic of the day, which is my favorite. It's the 80-20 rule. It's not a math problem, and this is part two. Right. I talked a little bit about this last week. I want to finish it up because it's awesome. very important. All right. But first, before we get into that, 
Give us your motivational quote. And I feel very motivated. And the motivational quote is, imagination is more important than knowledge. Knowledge is limited. Imagination encircles the world. And you don't let me down every single week. It's just better than the last. That's right, man. Because if you don't have an imagination, I don't know, nothing happens. You're limited. (laughs) You're limited. Very limited. So where are we at? Mark, we are up to the market report. And there is the bell. And this market housing report, it seems like every week we're talking a little bit. It's kind of similar. Not things are changing real quick. It seems harder than ever to buy a home. Everybody's complaining about that. That's why I want to get into a little detail uh, on the market report. It was interesting. I pulled up a market report from a show we did on... Uh, February fifth, two thousand thirteen, and these were the f- these were the five things in the market report. Prices are on the rise. Mortgage interest rates are expected to increase. Rents are continuing to skyrocket. New mortgage regulations will be announced later this year, and timelines to close will be shorter. That was in two thousand thirteen. <laughs> I have every script from every show. And that's yep. exactly what's going on now. Nothing's you know, changed. I know. It's just, you know, it's a cycle. Here we are again. So some homeowners have delayed their plans to sell. I've had a bunch of conversations this week about that. Do you think it's a good time to sell? <laughs> like, the best time ever. And <laughs> buyers are trying to take advantage of the low mortgage rates. The housing inventory has dropped even further. Experts consider this to be... The biggest challenge facing us otherwise in this really hot market. Every month, Realtor.com releases new data showing year-over-year changes in the inventory of existing sales. And you can see there's a map I have in our script, which the audience isn't going to be able to see. But inventory is 42.6% slower than it was this time last year. 42.6%. That's a very large number. Yeah, that's because in the media, they don't talk about real estate. Now, in 2008, in the worst market in history, they talked about real estate every day. But now that it's all this good news, they don't talk about it. So, it's a very competitive market. You know, uh, it's like when everybody was trying to find toilet paper. (laughs) Remember that last spring <laughs> yeah. when toilet paper was flying off the shelves? You better buy toilet paper. I mean, what is that I don't know about you, but I did anything. not run out and buy toilet paper. Did you? No, did you, and I did not run out and buy toilet paper, nor <laughs> did I run out. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. So uh, anyway, homes are being listed, but the rate is it's very slow, and it's making it competitive for buyers. So the good news for the homeowners, the health crisis is basically over. I mean, I I can't believe there's still people telling us to wear masks and I don't know. It just they say follow the science and then they don't and then they don't talk about the science. But I think we're in good shape with the economy. Homeowners are getting ready to sell later this year. They're going to start realizing it's finally going to start dawning on them that this is going to be the best time ever to get the highest price ever. So, you know, these sellers that are listening to this show, 
if you know anybody thinking about selling, this is the time to get in the market. I was talking to a girl. She just listed one up in Holland, or I forget where she said exactly, but she listed it. Next day, there was nine showings, and within four days, she had like 10 offers. The bottom Only line, 10? Only 10 yeah, offers? Yeah. Uh, the bottom line, today's housing market is a big win for sellers, but these conditions won't last forever. So if you're in a position to sell your house now, you may want you, you know might you might want to do it, and probably one of your neighbors is going to know somebody that wants to buy it. If you told them about it, it'll probably be sold before it even hits the market. So there's a map. Now look at this map. Now the audience cannot see this map, but this is a map of every state, and this is how far down they are in listings compared to a year ago. Like see, for, uh, Pennsylvania is down forty five percent. California's down 36%. Texas, 44%. Florida, 39%. Now, Florida, remember we had them agents on. They had a little bit of inventory. Georgia, 51%. Well, New York is minus 3.1%. Because <laughs> they're all gone. <laughs> they are they're not left. listing. They're just leaving. <laughs> they're just gone. Maine, 51%. So, I mean, like you look at these dates, they're all... What's the lowest one on this whole map? Well, look at the well, highest one, which is Utah. Utah. 64.5%. So you can't even, where there's one person every uh, 10 miles. Oh, my God. <laughs> there's no, nothing to buy. Right. Idaho, too. Idaho, 69. I know. It's It's unbelievable. So anyway. You know what else is unbelievable? It's the best time to buy, and it's even a better time to sell, bottom line. You know what else is unbelievable? What? Our rates. Tell us about the rates. 30-year fixed, 2.875 to 3%. Again, dependent on credit. Your 15-year is 2.375. Your FHA is 2.875. It is not too late to refi. You got to give me a call. 609-605-7153. And thank you to all the listeners that did call on Saturday. We had some great conversations, and we're looking forward to helping people. So if you're still 3-5 and above, you should do it. Correct. All right. That's what I've been telling everybody. All right. Did you hear that, audience? If you are over, if you have a friend that has a mortgage over 3.5%, tell them to call Deanne and get down to like 2-6. So with that, you're listening to Good News and Real Estate here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. All positive, all the time. We'll be right back. On behalf of the Philadelphia Federal Credit Union, we hope you're enjoying Good News in Real Estate with Deanne Katsaris and Mark Cumberland. The Philadelphia Federal Credit Union. Not here for our profit, here for yours. Deanne and Mark will have more after the break and this message from Debt-Free Living. Learn more at wehatedebt.com. All right, welcome back to Good News in Real Estate here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. All positive, all the time. So where are we at, Dan? Mark, we are up to your funny story. So I got something different this week. It's financial and business terms that are thrown around, and here's what they mean. Advertisement, a tool used by business to get money out of people they don't have for something that they don't need. <laughs> alimony, <laughs> alimony, a two-person mistake paid by one. I like, I like that one. An auditor, a person that arrives after the battle to finish off the wounded. (laughs) (laughs) 
a bank, a place that will lend you money and, and an umbrella insurance plan only when you don't need it. Oh, God. <laughs> a bear market, eight months when the kids get no allowance, the wife gets no jewelry, and the husband gets no sex. <laughs> A broker, a person that you trust with thousands of your hard-earned dollars, hello, and a broker, what my broker has made me poorer than you were last year, a budget, written proof that you can't afford the things that you want, <laughs> I like that. a bull market, a random market movement causing an investor to make mistakes for a financial genius. <laughs> <laughs> Cash flow, the movement of your money makes it disappear down the toilet. A day a day trader, a more socially acceptable gambling addict. <laughs> a discounted stock, a stock that is less expensive than a month ago and more expensive than it will be next oh month. <laughs> an institutional investor, an incompletely successful investor who is now locked up in a mental institution. Oh my god. <laughs> A market correction the day after you buy stocks. <laughs> Momentum investing, the fine order of buying high and selling, selling low. low. <laughs> the P and E ratio, the percentage of investors wetting their pants as the market keeps crashing. <laughs> Profit, a man that prays to God. Oh God. Standard and poor, the S and P, your life in a nutshell. <laughs> A stock analyst, the idiot who just downgraded your stock. Oh, a stock market correction, the term your broker uses for a financial market crash. <laughs> and a stock split, when your former wife and her lawyer split all your assets equally between themselves. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. I like that. Uh, good stuff. There were some good ones in there. If you have a funny story you'd like to hear, send it to 8029 at comcast.net or give us a call at 267-266-5501. And now it is time for the Mortgage Moms segment with Deanne Katsaris from Green Tree Mortgage. And her topic has to do with something with forbearances. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I didn't get a chance to write it down. So tell care. me about it. What's the topic? 11 years ago, you used to care about what my topic was. I care. I know you do. <laughs> I know you do. So what's the topic? So the topic is forbearance exits are speeding up. Oh, go one. And it's the 19th straight week of forbearance decreases, which is great. So first of all, let's go over real quick what a forbearance is. So right. a lot of the servicing companies, and a servicing company is the person that you send your check to every month for your mortgage payment. It might not necessarily be the person that did your mortgage, for instance, Green Tree Mortgage Company LP, we close in our name, we lend our own money, but that mortgage gets sold off to someone, Wells Fargo, um, Penny Mac, someone like that. That's called a servicer. So right. everything basically stays the same except who you make your check out to every single month. Right, they so subcontract. Right, so it's a third party. So when you go into forbearance, it just means you've elected not to make mortgage payments currently and you're accumulating those payments. So if your mortgage payment is $2,000 a month and you decided not to pay those for the next six months, you've now accumulated $12,000 worth of money that either goes back to the back end of the loan or you have to pay it at the end of the six months. Right. So, I was in one years and years ago. I took a shot at a business and couldn't pay my mortgage and got in a forbearance agreement 
where they lowered my mortgage payment and then they gradually raised it and then I had to pay the regular mortgage payment plus what I was in the, the back. The back but end, I right. saved my house. Right. Right. Now so the point the point of your thing is that across the country this is a very 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 small percentage of people that are still left in this. Well, they estimate that there's about 1.9 million homeowners who are currently still in forbearance plans. Out of 317 million. Out of 317 million. Now, which that's a very very great number. So the share of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac loans in forbearance, they decreased 8 basis points to 1.91. And the Ginnie Mae loans decreased the staggering 32 to 4.78. So forbearance share the portfolio loans and private label securities, you know, that's increased two basis points. So what does this all mean? It's only the second time since March that both Fannie and Freddie, their loans in forbearance were reported under 2% within the first week of March. Right. Now, if you would listen to the media, you would think half of the country is in forbearance. Agreed. Everybody that you would talk to, you would think that they were in forbearance. But, right. but in that, they're, with not. That's, they're not. And with that same token, the delinquency rate slightly increased for homeowners who have completed a workout program. So borrowers, borrowers who are exiting the forbearance are now likely... To have been in a relief for over a year with almost 60% of borrowers in forbearance extension for longer than 12 months. So the mar- the borrowers may face more challenges getting back into making regular payments. Now, again, this could be an opportunity to refinance. Right. It's going to depend on, on what the forbearance looks like, but there's a great chance that you might be able to use the equity in your home, refinance that and you don't pay it back, it just gets mortgaged in. Right. Right. So you're getting a lower interest rate, and you're basically able to not have to pay that debt. And even though you had a hardship and couldn't make your mortgage payments, you have an opportunity here because of equity to get even a better mortgage rate at a lower interest rate. Right. Now, the White House said in a statement that three federal agencies that back mortgages and that's the United States Department of Agriculture. That's that USDA loan with 100% financing. The Department of Veteran Affairs, which is our VA loans, and the Department of Housing and Urban Development, which is HUD, would extend the pandemic-related foreclosure ban until July 31st. So the Federal Housing Finance Agency, which oversees Fannie and Freddie, said it's similarly, it's going to do the same thing and let it ride out until the end of July. This latest extension will be the last one per the Biden administration. Right. But so, in reality, if you're watching the media, you would think that it's 25% of the country, but in reality, it's it's in it's 1% or 2% more low. Yeah, so... And on top of that, Mark, roughly 15.5% represented borrowers who did not make all of their monthly payments and exited forbearance without a loss mitigation plan in place. About 11% of them resulted in a loan modification 
or a trial loan modification. So right. that loan modification is what you were talking about, right. where you're taking a portion of that and paying it back, or it goes on the back end of the loan. Right. That's what I did, a loan modification. Right. So you get a lower interest rate. All that interest goes to the back end of the loan, and it does lower your monthly payment. So you have to take a look at what's going to work best for you, because what might have worked for you at that point is not necessarily going to work for someone else. So it's a case-by-case basis, and you have to be very clear about the paperwork, what needs to be done, how does it affect your credit. All of those things have to come in place. Yeah, mine was back in the 80s. Yeah, so... If you have questions on the Fairbairns, grab your paperwork, give me a call at 609-605-7153, and I'll guide you through the process, answer some questions, but also check out my website, my new website. Have you looked at it yet, Mark? Yes, it's wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) It's mortgagemom.net. It's very user-friendly. It's bright. I love it. You got to check it out. I know. Just need right. some of my music in the background. It, yeah, I, absolutely. So next, <laughs> coming up next is going to be our question and answer segment. All right, that was very good. So with that, you're listening to Good News in Real Estate here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. All positive, all the time. We'll be right back. Deanne and Mark are halfway through this week's edition of Good News in Real Estate, presented by the Philadelphia Federal Credit Union. Not here for our profit, here for yours. When the show returns, more real estate news from around the Delaware Valley. All right. Welcome back to Good News in Real Estate here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. All positive, all the time. So where are we at, Deanne? Mark, we are up to our question and answer segment, and the first question is... Is it better to buy in the first phase or the last phase of a subdivision with new construction? That's an interesting question. I never bought new construction. To me, it's like getting a new cell phone, the way I think about things. I don't buy that new model until all the cases are out. Right. Right. (laughs) Like, I screwed up this time. I got a Galaxy S20, man. I should have waited. I have had (laughs) nothing but problems, and my Galaxy 8 worked great. So, I don't know. You know... When, if they're going to do phase one, phase two, phase three, what was that movie with the ghost? Uh, uh, the guy was a builder and they built over the Indian cemetery. Uh, Poltergeist? Poltergeist. Mm, yeah, Poltergeist. Remember they built the, the uh, subdivisions in phases and a new phase, he took them up and he showed them where and it was an old graveyard. Anyway, no. back anyway. to the question. Right. I don't know. I, uh, you know, in this market, people, people are going to snap up the first phase. Most of it's going to be sold before it even is finished. But if you were in a market and you got time, I might be on the fence and wait and see how the first phase went before I dove in. Uh, yeah, it's I mean, just a matter of opinion, I guess. Yeah. I mean, it gives you an opportunity to see what the final product's going to look like as well. Um, and maybe doing a walkthrough, you might have an opportunity to, to want something different. You know what I mean? To more personalize it. I know. Like the ones they're doing down in Kensington and Fishtown, they're buying them before they even broke ground. They're showing them virtual tours and and people are buying the houses. They didn't start construction yet. So in Florida, they're buying pre-construction and they're flipping it pre-construction. <laughs> wow. 
So it's insane. Shit. Some of them are, you know, some of the houses are being finished, and they they never e- they never even completed, and it's already being flipped to someone else. Wow. Yeah. That's some good investment. What's the next one? The next question is, so looking back now, I see that my current home was not the best investment. It's my first. It was my first house, so I learned a lot. So many questions now. I want to make sure that I don't make the same mistake in my next purchase. I'd like so to the know question. What, yeah. What? what What are the mistakes? Right. So if she learned a lot, right? So she learned a lot. So now, not to make the same mistake, we'll use what you learned, and don't make the same mistake. A lot of people. Unless. You know what she might have did? She might have bought a two bedroom. Two bedrooms are. A lot smaller, you have a lot smaller group that buy two bedrooms. That's why if I ever have somebody that's going to buy an investment piece, I tell them never buy a two bedroom, unless it's a condo. Condos are different. But if you're going to buy a house, don't buy a two bedroom because you're eliminating a large part of the market of buyers because they're going to need more than two bedrooms. Right. So, like, I would never buy an investment piece that was a two bedroom unless it was a condo condo two bedrooms are different people just buy condos but i don't know what other mistakes maybe she bought something without a basement maybe they yeah. have a yard there's she could have made all kinds of mistakes didn't so, use me as the lender right didn't i mean the list the goes end, on and on or didn't use me as the agent <laughs> yeah but you, right. you know what you always fail forward so right. whatever you learn whatever mistake you you made you learn from and you don't make that mistake again so Correct. All right, question number three. I'm buying a house from a relative, and we're wondering what our options are for getting the paperwork and legalities done. You know, this is a good question, Mark, because I just recently um, did a purchase for a relative. So the brother-in-law was selling to his brother-in-law, and we were able to do the gift of equity, and we were also able to do a seller concession. So let's just say the house was purchased for... They sold it to him for 200000 They gave him a 20% gift of equity. So he had no PMI. He didn't have to put the 20% down because it automatically came out of the equity of the property. Right. And then on top of that, they gave him a, a 6% seller concession. So my client literally just walked in, signed on the dotted line, and no money was exchanged at all. Yeah, because it, they got lucky and knew you. Now, if somebody doesn't know anybody, then what? Oh, should we hire a lawyer? Right. What do we do? Do we hire an agent? You know, right. like it's the, the title company plays a big role in that. So as far as right. le- the legalities, the title company will assist you. A lot of title companies will have attorneys. They can do the, the paperwork for you or you can go to, you know, you can go to Staples and get an agreement, agreement of sale you know, maybe have it reviewed by attorney, which <laughs> yeah, will cost you like twenty five bucks um, with Legal Shield. But I mean, you have the title company that's making sure that all the I's are dotted, the T's are crossed, and you're going to get a mortgage. So again, you have professionals that are guiding you through this process. Um, but that's the best option. Yeah, when I get this question from somebody that's really wanting to do it, I usually refer them to a title company because right. they can usually handle it. Right. And if they need a mortgage, I refer them to you. Yes, What's you the do. next one? The next question is, how much impact does the home type have on mortgage rates? It has a lot, um, a lot of facts. So 
whether it's a duplex in Philadelphia versus a duplex in New Jersey, your rate's going to be different. It's called a hit on the rate. A single family versus a condominium is also going to be different. So they have different risk factors um, that are based on all of this. So it does, the home type does have an impact on the mortgage rates. And a lot of people don't understand that. They'll no. go online and they'll Google, you know, what's the 30-year rate today? And they'll see it's a 2.875, but yet they're purchasing a condo and not a single family. So again, it does it does play a part. So you have to be careful. And you need to know all of that up front. So asking this question is huge because, you know, you could get disappointed when you start to get a rate thinking it was something and it's not. And it could be an investment property, which would be a whole different ballgame. Yeah, investment properties, the rates on investment properties right now, people are actually needing to pay points because there's just the rates are, you know, the rates are in the fours with anywhere from a point to a point and a half. You know, commercial rates, you can get a commercial rate right now in in the fours on commercial. That's a great rate. It is. I have somebody refining like a uh, two million dollar mortgage, and they're going to refi down from like six and a half to four percent. Oh, that's you know what kind of savings that is. It's huge. They could buy another property at this point. Right. All right. So good questions. Yeah. So as usual, we had some great questions, and we always appreciate it. And coming up next is going to be our topic of the day. The 80-20 rule, it is not a math problem. And this is part two from last week. Yes. I want to finish this up. So with that, you're listening to Good News in Real Estate here on Talk Radio 1210, all positive all the time. We'll be right back. Good News in Real Estate with Deanne Katsaris and Mark Cumberland is proudly being provided by the Philadelphia Federal Credit Union. Not here for our profit, here for yours. Deanne and Mark will have more in a moment, but first, a message from one of our home team partners, Green Tree Mortgage. How much do you qualify for? Ask Deanne now at MortgageMom.net. All right, welcome back to Good News in Real Estate here on Talk Radio 1210, WPHTO Positive all the time. So are we at, Dan? Mark, we're up to our topic of the day, and our topic is the 80-20 rule. It's not a math problem. Part Yeah, I two. talked about this last week, and we got into some of it, and it's an old rule. It goes back to the 14th century from a philosopher named Pareto that figured out that uh, 80% of the wealth was owned by 20% of the people in Italy, and then he compared it to everything else in life. I talked about that a little bit on last week. If you want to go to last week's podcast, you can revisit it. But there's more to it. It's not, it's, this is not like a math problem. And, and when small business owners waste their time on what we'll call the $12 an hour work, like running to the office to get supplies, uh, meanwhile, they forego activities that earn them $1,000 an hour. So it says sending the right email to the right person or making that phone call or making that connection or convincing a client to do more business with them. They get caught up in this 80% and they, and they have their little mitts on everything, including time management. And like entrepreneurs are prone to rationalize. I can do it myself. And then they spend six hours trying to extract a virus out of their computer when they're not a computer guy. Or they may be competent to do little jobs, 
and they find themselves doing those little jobs, the little 10 to $20 an hour job. The faucet broke in the kitchen of the office, so they go to Home Depot and pick up the parts. And, and in the meantime, they're worth $200 an hour, and they're spending that to pick up parts and fix a faucet in their office. Like, uh, like people like you. Like, you should not technically be cleaning your house. You should be hiring somebody for maybe $10, $15 an hour to come in and clean the house because you're worth probably a couple hundred dollars an hour. But I have a couple teachers. I have one teacher. I won't mention his name. But he has to have his mitts on everything. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, you know how much this is costing you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I, but you know, I know it's going to get done. You know what? If I hire somebody to, to cut my grass, I know it's going to get done. <laughs> And I'm, it's not going to be me out there pushing a lawnmower out or pulling that cord like a joke a couple of weeks ago about the priest. <laughs> yeah. I forgot how to curse. And the guy, just keep pulling that cord. It'll come back to you. You know, <laughs> you know, you got to get rid of the 10 to $15 hour of stuff if you're going to be an entrepreneur. You're, you know, you assume that you're not wasting time vacuuming your own carpets, listening to your own voicemails. But in the end... A lot of that could be done by somebody else for a lot cheaper. One of the biggest mistakes in all small business and business in general is people fight hiring an assistant because, you know, oh, somebody else in my business, you know, oh, I'll have to pay him. What if one month I can't pay him? All the excuses, you know, or they make mistakes and they hire friends and they don't use the tools like Dr. Abelson, and they don't disc them, and they find out the first three months is a honeymoon, the second three months there's cracks in the armor or improvement, and six to nine months out, this was the bad hire, and it blows up in your face, and you start all over. And a bad hire at an administrative level costs you three times the salaries. A bad hire at an executive level could cost you ten times the salary. So, so like, there's so much to this 80-20 rule. And, and then one of the things that some people feel guilty about is relaxing. Like, I am so over that. If I work my... I get up every day around 6 and I start. And I'm probably most productive between 6 and 10. And then the other stuff takes place. I answer the 499 phone calls. I talk to the web guy about whatever strategy we do. And then if I don't have nothing to do at 2 o'clock... And I watching European soccer games. I don't feel guilty. <laughs> like, like right. I don't. I don't need to be running around like a lunatic anymore. I am over that. I'm trying. I work like thirty hours a week. My goal in twenty one is to get down to twenty. But twenty of the twenty percent. That's an important key. So. You know, but you're also on task. I mean, when you're going to work those hours, you have a to-do list. You know what needs to be done, and you're—I mean—that's what you're on. I mean, you and I can work three hours a day and get more done than most people can get done in a in a six to eight hour. Yeah, because day. the eighty percent's like flypaper. You know, they answer a text, they answer a face message, Facebook message, they read an email. And the next thing you know, it's 2 o'clock. And the the 20% that they plan to do hasn't got done yet. So then they say, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. 
when when if you stay on task in the twenty percent, then you all of a sudden you know you're worth a thousand dollars an hour. If I take if I take five calls from students in an hour, that's two grand. Right. So I try to stay in the twenty percent. We could talk about this all day. Yeah. So I think we're going into part three, but. Coming up next is our business <laughs> section with Asking Dr. A. All right, I could take a hint. <laughs> and we're going to continue with re-engaging back into the workforce after COVID. So welcome, Dr. A. Dr. Averson, how are you? I'm doing marvelously. How are the two of you guys doing? We are very Fabulous. good. We're, we are re-engaged. So, but let's talk <laughs> about this. Where we left off, like, because this is... A lot of people are re- re-engaging, and I guarantee you they're running into problems. So you pick it up. Well, thanks. For sure. Well, they're trying to re-engage. That, that's the point. There, there's, if you right. look at the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times or any of the large newspapers, what you're going to see is at least there's one or two articles over the last couple of weeks about re-engaging and people not wanting to come back to the workforce. And, and so how, could, how do you do that? The neat thing is we, we have some answers and all you have to do is give them an assessment and then the assessment itself tells you how to re-engage them. But I'm going to help everybody who's listening to us cheat a little and tell you what to do without doing the assessment. But if you want to identify what the individuals in your workplace really need, uh, then the assessment tells you what that is. But anyhow, we're going to talk about a couple right. of things. One of them is is they some people want to have that balance. So what you can do is you can point out to them what are the benefits of coming back to the office, okay, versus what are the benefits of being at home, and then and then you can talk with them about that because some people, especially particular types of behavioral styles, miss interacting with others. Some people are just right. tired of being cooped up at home and they want to get out, but they're getting pressure from their spouse or from somebody else to stay there. So all they need is an excuse, uh, so an effective employer you know can can give them excuses that are legitimate excuses without them being like commanding you know like you have to come back or you're not going to have a job type of thing that that rarely works especially in this environment because there's so many open jobs because people aren't coming back so so what you need to do is you need to help one of the aspects here is to help them with a balance so that they feel that uh, that you do appreciate them that and and that they can do some things at home and they can do some things at, at the office the, the last area that deals with this engaging uh, actually is the only one that deals anything with money. The other five that we talked about have nothing to do with money. Uh, but let's stay away from the money because that's the easiest solution, but it's usually the least effective. The people who, who are this last type of, of motive that, that motivates them is this notion of they like to be in an efficient place. So if you can tell them when they come back, you won't be wasting their time. You're not going to have all these staff meetings, which, you know, be, typically frustrate people, you know, but we're going to let you get your job done, but and we're going to make it more efficient because you're going to be able to interact with others quickly and then go back to your office and go back to your workstation uh, and get it done. You won't gonna, you're not going to be disturbed by what's going on around you at your home, all right? So there are those types of things that you can help people understand the efficiency and effectiveness of coming back to work. Yeah, and that's very important too because, you know, a lot of people got used to like just working from home and i'm still curious if there's going to be some studies about productivity like how compared to like a year before the virus compared to productivity after the virus well there are some studies have you seen any have you seen anything like that yeah i have i mean there's several several of the large uh 
companies are, are doing, the, the consulting companies are doing it, and we can probably talk about that in our next show. Yeah, yeah let's talk about that in the next now. show. I'm curious on productivity. Okay. All right, so tell everybody, how to get a, tell everybody how to get a hold of you. It's real easy. www.abelson.net uh, or abelson at abelson.net. Both of them come to us. One gets to the website where you can see what we have to offer you uh, and or sign up for assessments. All right, very, very good. good, Dr. Abelson. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. A. All right, All right. If, you have any, if you have any questions, you can email them to Mark at 8029 at comcast.net or give them a call at 267-266-5501. You can also email me at deannekatsaris at comcast.net or give me a call at 609-605-7153. And a special thanks to all of our listeners for tuning in every week and our sponsors for keeping us on the air all these years here at Talk Radio 1210. We hope to make you a faithful listener and keep you informed. You can listen to us every Saturday at 1 o'clock here on Talk Radio. So with that, have a great week. I'm Mark Cumberland. I'm Deanne Katsaris, your mortgage mom. You've been listening to Good News in Real Estate here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. All positive all all the the time. Thanks for listening to Good News in Real Estate, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Kraus at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded.